Kravitz. If you have not followed his Triple H Horse Racing Podcast, you're missing out. It's one of the best podcasts in the country. Good evening and welcome to episode 272 of the HHH Racing Podcast. I'm your proud host, Howard Kravitz. Thanks for joining us tonight for a huge show as we are going to be doing two things. First, we're going to be previewing the fantastic late pick five, three graded stakes. It is Stephen Foster Day, one of the biggest days of the year, especially in the Midwest, this time at Ellis Park with expert TV analyst from Churchill Downs, Mr. Scott Shapiro. He'll be joining us very soon. Very excited for a great discussion. And then after that, Eddie Olchek will be here with Jim Miller to talk about Eddie O's unbelievable score in the Hawthorne Invite Contest this past Sunday. And also, he'll talk about Connor Bedard just a bit, the first pick of the Chicago Blackhawks, the NHL draft, who looks like a very exciting prospects. We've got a great show. Please make sure you subscribe on the bottom right-hand side of the screen. Hit that notification bell so that you will not miss any new shows on the podcast or the YouTube channel. And then smash, I mean smash, that like button, that thumbs up button will help generate people to our show. You can follow me on Twitter at hkravitz. Of course, you know that. On my name tag there, scrolling at the bottom of the screen is my email hkravitzhorse at gmail.com. We've got our usual shows, Benton and Boozen. They had a great show covering Woodbine. It was on last night, Wednesday night, episode 28. So please check that out. And also, we had a special tape show. Uh, Pete and Paul and myself had a tape show earlier today. And that show has already come out on our YouTube channel and on Twitter, episode 271 covering Belmont and their great pick five. So a lot of information this week. Uh, Check us out next week for some great shows. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. Power picks were red hot last week. Uh, Price plays, spot plays, plays the day. Pick fives hit for over $500 with two fills winning easily uh, as a free square. So basically a pick four for over $500 we gave out very inexpensively on the show. Look below the video player because we're going to have special information about Saratoga. We're going to have a special Saratoga Power Picks. We'll tell you all about it in the coming weeks. If you sent in your survey and you were part of our email list, thank you very much. If you want to be part of our email, uh, part of our email list, please email me, hkravitzhorse at gmail.com. But thank you for your input. We appreciate it. We'll have a special power picks coming up for Saratoga. We'll tell you all about that in the next two weeks. Great website, hhhracingpodcast.com, which has recently been updated by the wonderful Pete Visco. So if you haven't checked out our podcast, it's great. We got a lot of information. Please do check that out. We already have some people on the show here. Stephen Vandenbrook, good evening. Hello, Stephen. Simon O'Neill from the UK. Hello, Simon. Uh, you've got the... Uh, the Open Golf Tournament coming up uh, next week at Royal Liverpool. So, hello, Simon. Christine Race, the power pick smoked last week. Very clear picks and easy to play. Thank you very much, Christine. Please make sure you comment uh, in the uh, live chat. It's going to be very active tonight. All right, let's bring on my great co-host before we bring on Scott Shapiro. 
from the East Coast of Maryland, Mr. Pete Visco, and from the Saratoga Special and the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, Mr. Paul Halloran. Guys, it is Stephen Foster Day this Saturday. Big, big card. How yeah, always today? a good one. Always a good one. How's it going, Paul? Pete, nice to see you. Haven't seen you in a while. I know. It's been, what, hours at this point? <laughs> this is definitely not a union job, Pete. No, no, no. Well, this I, I assume you'll be a lot less energy now that this one is in the evening. But Actually, we'll, we'll I got try a wind here. I'm okay. Oh, beautiful. beautiful. I put right. these guys a little like double duty. We did a tape show earlier this afternoon. But for the record, the only day that we actually uh, were, were taping this week. So the, they'll be all good. I think they're all rested up and ready to go. Guys, we got a lot to talk about. Let's not waste any time. We have a gentleman coming on right now who's uh, – a better person than he's an analyst and he's a hell of an analyst. He was on our show before. Uh, I think he's been on twice actually. And I don't know if you remember this, but the, la- I don't know if you remember this Paul too, but the last time I met this gentleman in person was in April at Keelan for a very special contest. Paul, I think you know what it was. It was the grade one gamble. Let's bring him on. Fantastic analyst for Churchill Downs incorporated and a great guy, Mr. Scott Shapiro. Scott, thanks for coming on. How are you doing tonight, sir? What's up, Howard? Pete, Paul, how you guys doing? Good to join you. Uh, excited to be back and uh, excited for a unorthodox Stephen Foster day coming up on Saturday. Yeah, a little bit unusual at Alice Park. I mentioned, Scott, the last time I saw you, you were in the same room as this guy down here in the corner who won the great one gamble. Keelan yes. Scott, pretty cool to have uh, one of our members of the podcast win the great one gamble in April. Congrats on that, Paul. Tremendous accomplishment. Also, uh, nice compensation for accomplishing it, of course. But uh, yeah, Keeneland's awesome in the spring and in the fall. Always good to get out there. I get to, uh, yeah, it's nice to be uh, about an hour away. So I get there a lot more than I used to. But uh, once again, congratulations, Paul. Thanks. I, I booked my hotel for next April last night. As a matter nice. Oh, there you go. Uh, we got a lot of people in the live chat, Scott. Again, any questions for Scott Shapiro? He's one of the best analysts in the country. He's been with Churchill Downs for quite a while. We got Sylvain is here, Scott. You see comments on the bottom of the screen. Sylvain actually lives in Canada. We got Ed Morales is here. Hey, guys, good evening from the left. I mean, the West Coast. We got West Coast guys. We got uh, uh, Kenny Neely's here. Hello, Kenny. Penn State Scott, of course, from Pennsylvania, Scott Shapiro. Charles B is here. Want to say hi to Paul. So we got a lot of people. You'll see comments on the chat and questions, Scott. Real quick, before we get into the pick five, obviously not ideal. You guys had to shift the races to Ellis. No reason to, you know, keep the hide the elephant in the room. How's the transition been? Uh, how are things going at the pea patch? Well, it's been an interesting transition. We were I was expected to have spend my first summer at Ellis starting next week, but uh, that was a uh, part of my uh, job now that we purchased the track. But we got a little bit of a head start. And, uh, you know, it's, there's been some ups and downs, no doubt about it. Uh, one thing I think everybody needs to be aware of, if you haven't been following Ellis, and it did rain a ton today, supposed to potentially rain some more, but it has been ultra speed favoring. So not every single day, but there have been some days that are 10 out of 10 speed favoring tracks and very few days that have been fair. So keep an eye out over the next couple of days or, you know, next tomorrow and the first few races on Saturday to see if that sticks. But uh, otherwise, it's been fun. I mean, I'm glad the Ellis people get to enjoy a grade one event. It'll be the biggest day they ever have there in Henderson. It's a great little community and uh, excited for them to have it. 
Yeah, uh, a horse named Society comes to mind when you say speed favor. I mean, she's a nice <laughs> horse, Scott, but whoa, that was that was crazy last week. And the in the um, aptly named Chicago Stakes, if I remember correctly, being a Chicago guy. Um, I don't know if the rain's going to have an effect on the main track. We don't know, Scott. We'll just have to see. But the turf course Saturday is definitely not going to be firm. Is that fair to say? I think that's pretty fair to say. We've already uh, opted to take the turf races off tomorrow, okay. which is a sign that it's not close. And there were some couple of major storms that came through, lots of rain, et cetera. So I would predict if I had to get, I hypothesize would be better that the turf stakes races at least will be kept on in some capacity, but doesn't rain more tomorrow, but we'll see. The forecast is not all that pretty. Okay, I know it's been sort of hot and steamy. It's going to be a bit uncomfortable. We'll just have to see how the horses handle it. Uh, let's jump into the pick five, guys. We're only going to talk about the late pick five. Now, there's three graded stakes in the late pick five. There are two uh, ungraded stakes that we're not going to be discussing, the Kelly's Landing and the American Derby, just for time purposes, Scott. But just to let the viewers at home know, there are five stakes on this Stephen Foster card. It is a loaded card Saturday. Actually, six, right? We've got six. two before the sequence, four within the late oh, pick four, five, and then seven. So, yeah, don't, don't, don't undercut Ellis Howard. Six stakes races, man. Okay, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> my bad. Listen, it's, there's so many, it's hard to count. There are that many. But uh, there, and I think the races are pretty wide open, too. We're going to discuss it right now. Let's get in to the um, – Start the pick five right now. So I'm going to go ahead and share my screen here. I'm going to show the Aquabase entries, Scott, and then, of course, we're going to we use um, DRFPPs here on the show. And you're going to see banners on the bottom of the screen, of course, ladies and gentlemen, and you're going to see everyone's picks, including uh, Scott's picks. It's a scrolling banner of our top four uh, selections for each, uh, each race. The first race of the late pick five starts at race seven, about 250 Central Standard Time. It's an optional allowance, 80,000. Seven furlongs. It's a nice big field, Scott, of 12. And the morning line favorite, and a big morning line favorite, is the number six, Hoist the Gold, for Dal Stewart and Louis Saez. Now, when you look at the bottom of the screen, ladies and gentlemen, Pete and Paul are like, this is, this is simple. Let's just go with the chalk. Scott and I are going to try to get creative and try to beat Hoist the Gold. Scott, as our guest, you're always going to go first. You're going to go with the number three in this race, the Queen Jewels for Van Berg and Giroux in for the tag, a very talented eight-year-old in for the 80,000. Yeah, look, there's no doubt about it. Hoist the Gold is the clear one to beat. He's taken on much better competition than he encounters in here, including the Met Mile last time, the Churchill Downs before where he ran second. If he runs back to some of those, some of his best races, they're not going to beat him, and he might have the speed to make the lead. But I've seen it far too often when a courses leave a couple of grade ones, drop in class, and maybe you're in a regression spot on numbers that they may underwhelm in a spot like this. So I just wasn't willing to go all in on hoist the gold. So I did go to number three, the Queen's Jewels. This is a class test for the eight-year-old gelding, but she has won 12 of 62. And what I like about her, uh, him, I'm sorry, is he's run some good races over the off-going, and he's got tactical speed to stay involved early. When Florent has been on board him, he fits him well. Four, he's been on him four times dating back to the middle of 2022. He's got two wins, a second and a third. He's a big price. He's going to need to run probably his career best effort, but he's got some races that put him in the mix, and I think he'll be forwardly placed, which is where you want to be over this racetrack. 
Now, Scott, we have a tradition on this show, and you did correct yourself quickly, but if you misgender a horse, <laughs> we all know everyone at home, grab your beverage. Feel free to have a beverage of Scott. <laughs> did make a little bit of an error there with the misgender, but the Queen's Jewel sounds like a female horse. But God, it's one of those deals, right, Scott? It is, and uh, I tend to be able to correct myself quickly with these types of things, but <laughs> the one that gets me the worst with gender every time is Beverly Park, the uh, oh. hard-knocking Lynn Cash horse that runs every other day, and I've called that a uh, that that male a female way too many times based on the Beverly. Nah, it's, it's easy to do. I'm just giving you – I had to dish it back since I made a mistake with the number of stakes. There we go. Now we're even, Scott. Um, uh, Pete and Paul, I'm pretty sure he'll come back on the show. He can, he can handle it. Um, Scott, here's the deal. I, I totally agree with you, by the way, that number six hoists the gold. And I'm, I obviously Pete and Paul agree. They have this horse on top. You know what? He's two for 20, Scott. He's two for 20. He is by far the best on paper, but it just feels like a spot – to try to beat him. I don't really have any knocks on him other than he's coming back in a few weeks and he's two for 20. And I don't think he completely lays over the field. There are other horses that are capable of winning. Um, I have the seven. I think it's a, it's a total flyer. I'm going to admit with Trafalgar guys, I'm hoping that there's enough speed in the race. I do like to turn back quite a bit. And Scott, I don't know if you're a big fan of turnbacks or not, but this horse does have some numbers that fit. If you look carefully, And I don't think this horse won any part of the mile and eighth. I think Mitchell Murrell, uh, who I know well from his Arlington days, is underrated. And if he can somehow work out a trip, this is going to be a big price. I'm similar to you in the fact I'm searching for something that may or may not be there, trying to beat Hoist the Gold. Pete, you're going with Hoist the Gold. This horse just, again, definitely is the class of the field. And if he runs his best, he's a winner. Yeah, it's funny, though, because I don't have a it's, – a, it's a weird dynamic because – I, it looks like hoist the gold is the best, but like you said, two for 20, which is, it's upsetting. And you don't, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to have a four to five shot, even money shot that doesn't like to win races. So I actually, when we get to our pick five, I actually went six deep, which is odd to oh, do oh. with a, with an even money shot, because oh. I think if hoist the gold doesn't win, I think then you're opening it up to pretty much almost everybody. So I, I have your seven. I like the seven. I was glad that Scott likes the three because that was sort of my long shot flyer price as well. So I like that horse go. and I see Paul does as well, which is, which is awesome. But I mean, hoist the gold seems like if he runs his race, he should be able to win. He can either run on the lead. He can sit just off. There is some speed in here. So, but again, maybe it's just horses just don't like to win sometimes and, and maybe that'll happen again. And you can, this is the one where you can, if you could beat this chalk to start this thing off, you can get paid. Paul, it just seems like he does well when he's, when he's a big price. And when you expect him to win, he just doesn't do it. He's just one of those kind of weird horses, Paul, that's hard to trust, at least in my opinion, and maybe Scott's opinion too. You're talking about hoist the gold. Yes, sir. Yeah. I mean, it's, the only question, and, and I agree with everything that's said, and I was, I was thrilled when I saw Scott pick the three because I almost did pick the three, Scott. I, I got him second. So I was very close. So I'm hoping great minds think alike, Scott, <laughs> and that you are a great mind. Thank you. Uh, you know, my only thing is, you know, hoist the gold's B minus race might win this. That's, yeah. that's how I kind of ended up going on top. And, uh, you know, I'm a a big company line guy, and I know he doesn't beat them, but Gunai, Elite Power, Taba, Pioneer Medina, Toby's Wish, uh, Cody's Wish, Zandon. So, uh, 
again, I think I agree with you, Howard. I think you have to try to beat him. Um, but he's certainly an A in, in the ABC line. I mean, it's funny. Even when the poor horse was down in optional claimer, 62 happened to run against elite power. So couldn't even catch a break when you're, when you're down at a lower level and you're like, what the hell? I can't even, I can't even catch a break at an optional claiming level. Uh, Scott, the lessers we'll talk about is Bron and Brow, who, um, again, Richard Hens in the chat said, isn't Bron and Brow the maybe too obvious option to hoist the gold? I like the outer post going seven at any track, but especially Alice because Hernandez can just look to his left and make some decisions. This is a very talented Louisiana bred who definitely has a shot in this race, Scott, if he runs his best. He sure does. A little bit concerned about the extra furlong. I like the outside draw for his running style, like you, Howard. Um, five for 13 does need to prove he can win at this level is beaten up on Louisiana breads, but he is one of the better Louisiana bread runners and should get a really good trip. You know, it's a, it's a matter of if you're trying to beat hoist the gold. Who do you sink your teeth into? And for me, it was going to be a big price. I wish there was a horse, like you said, Howard, that I felt confident in at six to one that really was sitting on his best race. I don't. That's why I even included hoist the gold. Normally, if I'm spreading in a pick five scenario, I won't use an even money unless I'm using one or two horses. But in this case, I just ended up including them. Charles B was watching about the drain. Just said the Ellis drain is okay. He thinks the track will be fine. Any insight as to how the dirt course takes to the uh, moisture, um, Scott? It's kind of a new situation for me. I played Ellis sparingly over the years, but it's my first full time uh, summer there, or spring slash summer. So it's kind of a wait and see. I'll take the words of the chat and the comments from them <laughs> okay. and cross my fingers and hope it goes as well as it normally does under the Twin Spires with that kind of thing. All right, let's get into the stakes portion of the car. The second leg is race eight. You see our picks on the bottom of the screen. It's the Fleur de Lis. This is a grade two. Let me bring it up right now on screen. It's always a real nice race for the gals. $400,000 is the purse. They're going a mile and eighth on the dirt. It's a field of eight with the Moorline favorite. And another pretty heavy Moorline favorite here, the number six, Amo Reddy for uh, Cox and Pratt. This is a talented uh, four-year-old who was originally on the West Coast, if I recall correctly. You see our picks there. Scott, you're going with a very interesting choice here. You're going against the chalk. You're going with a horse that we actually talked about on the show recently because uh, this she ran in Pennsylvania on Penn Mile Day, and we cover that here on the podcast. The number seven, Hardy Constitution for Joe Sharp. And Tyler G, 5-1 to one morning line. What does he like about this horse? Speed. I don't see a ton of speed in this mile and an eighth event. And I have uh, been I've been in the position of chasing loose speed horses uh, too often over okay. the first few weeks of this Ellis uh, elongated spring-slash-summer meeting. And it looks to me like Hardy Constitution has the speed to be loose on the lead. I know it may not be evident if you look at the last couple of races – uh, Irad Ortiz, not an aggressive rider in the aforementioned La Lefar, the state bred race on the Penn Mile card, took this one in his hand. And then in the one turn mile on May 5th, didn't get out of the gates all that well, but there's not a lot of speed. The mile and an eighth distance will allow this filly to get into a more forward spot in here. And if she can control the early fractions, I think she has a chance to hold off Amore, who is the clear one to beat that I'll let you guys talk about. But Amore doesn't get out of the gate all that well, and I'm a little bit concerned she's going to be chasing Hardy Constitution all the way around the track. 
It's an interesting pick, Scott, because if you're right about the speed, I was trying to find the speed of the speed, and it might be this one. My two questions for you with this horse are distance and class. Uh, do you think if she just gets away with that, you know, 24 and change, 49 apiece, that both those things can be negated by just a slower uh, pace and steal it up front? I have concerns about both, particularly the class level, although she has encountered some good fields. She did encounter some good fields as a three-year-old, and I thought held her own against Wicked Halo and Falconette, Wicked Halo and the Teppin, but she's a legitimate filly. Now, this is definitely the biggest test of her career, getting the nine furlong. She'll need to avoid going too quick up front, but you tell me, Howard, Paul, or Pete, who's going to press her? Yeah. Uh, Peter Paul, I'll let you answer that question. We we, well, I've got this, we all have the six, um, uh, you know, uh, Amore, and I'm concerned, like, you know, like you said, Scott, I'm hoping that Flavian is not going to be too far back. I, I'm not going to show the replay of La Troyenne, but she did break slow from the outside post. If you look at her other races, um, she wasn't that far back, although the paces were slow. So, Pete and Paul, what kind of trip do you see the six getting? I'm hoping that Pratt uses her a little bit early and that the distance and class will just come through. Yeah. I, I go ahead. You want to take this one, Paul? No, go ahead, you, Pete. You go I, ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, I think, I think she's better when she's close and I think she's talented enough. This is, I love this horse, by the way, she was one of my old, my racehorse horses that I used to have. And, and, and of course she's now she's great after she's gone. So she was, <laughs> she wasn't as good she, she was good early, then had some troubles and then she went downhill a bit and then went to Cox and now is sort of exploded. But I think she's good enough to be close. And I think she's the kind, if, if, if Flavian thinks he has the better horse, which I think he does, then hopefully he's close enough to attack, say the seven, on the turn and just sort of take her heart early and, and then just beat her because she's better. So that's my hope with a horse like this. And, and, and I have full confidence. I think this is sort of class relief for her. She's been knocking heads, but a little bit better. This one came up a little bit light and you're catching like a Pauline's Pearl, maybe on the downswing, the seven is maybe classing up. So I, I think she does that as long as she's not stuck too far back, trying to close into a slow pace. I will say Pauline's Pearl got a really tough trip in La Troyenne, guys. She was 3-4 wide in the first turn, and her line doesn't look good, but I don't think she's absolutely impossible. She's a very game mare dropping down in class. Um, Paul, let's talk about the one. Maybe I'm missing something because all you guys like the one a little bit. Balamore, maybe Garcia gets aggressive with this Simon Callahan trained horse, and and Garcia sends. I mean, he's a pretty aggressive guy. I can see Balamore uh, pressing or even maybe – having the lead of how constitution doesn't break well. What were your thoughts, Paul, on the one who is a little bit slower, but not, not that much slower than a bunch of the year in here. Yeah. And, and listening to Scott, uh, uh, I feel a little better. I, the one's going to be a solid B for me. Um, you know, that you see another horse who's on the board all the time, doesn't necessarily win all the time, but you know, there's some good races there. Played hard, the second to played hard, the second to Adare Manor. And I do think uh, the reason I picked the one second is the trip. Uh, I think uh, I think she's going to get a good trip from in there. I do think uh, with Martin Garcia, she will be forward as she was in the two races, uh, three and four back. Uh, actually, she was forward last time. It was a turf route. But um, the only question is real dirt, 0 for 6. Uh, if yeah. that bothers you, but uh, I think I could see the one getting that trip uh, perhaps behind Hardy Constitution and uh, 
you know, maybe taking a run at her. So uh, I think the one's got a, a you know, I, I think five to one is just about right. Hey, Paul, I like that. The on the fast dirt, four for six though in seconds. So you just play cold, right? In, yeah, I guess right in the second <laughs> spot, and then you hope for you to get a little, hope that line floats up a little bit, and you get a nice price and in a guaranteed second place finish. Yeah, MRA is it's weird, Scott. We'll move on here, but for some reason, I feel more confident with MRA than I do with hoist the gold, but they are similar, right? They're both low morning line favorites who are a little bit hard to trust for different reasons. I just have a feeling MRA is just classier than these, but again, if you can beat either one of those or both of those to start this pick five, Scott, you're talking a big pick five with three tough races still to go. No doubt about it. She's the one to beat. I want uh, Paul or uh, Pete had mentioned this. This is definitely class relief. I mean, the La Troyenne, Definitely a legitimate grade one where this is certainly a, a grade two type event. So she's facing lesser. If she can get out of the gate well, she's going to be tough to hold off. She's definitely an A, and Bellamore is the lone B for me. Okay, so again, Scott's going with the Hardy Constitution. I think you might get more than five to one, by the way, Scott. He looks a, a little slow on numbers, so that'll benefit me or hurt me or both, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully it'll help you uh, if uh, she comes through for you. All right, let's go to the next race. The third leg of the sequence is the Wise Dan. It's a grade two. It's on turf, which, which according to Scott, his guess it's going to be somewhere in the good to maybe even worse, depending on what kind of rain situation they get. But it should stay on the turf for sure, I would think, unless they get some real crazy thunderstorms the next 48 hours. It's a mile of 16 for the males, $400,000. Another big morning line favorite in the number eight set piece for Cox and Drew. And the question is, as I bring up the picks, is everyone here on the screen going to go with the favorite or not? Let's see what happens. Of course, no one on the screen knows these picks except me. There we go. Yes. Now we're all going to chalk out. We're going to go with set piece here. Scott, I'm a big fan of this horse. This horse is so damn honest. I mean, all she does is, uh, excuse me, all he does is run. Oh, there we go. I got to say it. There we go, guys. All, all he does is run. I mean, he's as honest as the day is long. And, um, again, I think if he gets the right trip, he's going to win here. There looks to be an honest pace, and Seth Peeth has uh, encountered a number of fields throughout his career, including recently, that have not had honest paces. That was basically the case in the grade three Arlington at Churchill back on June 3rd, and he was still much the best of three to five. The one question I have, and it's hard with two days out to predict this and giving selections, is he is a much better horse over a firm turf course, and it's unlikely to be a firm course. So... While I think he's the likeliest winner, maybe on a firm course, the likeliest winner in the sequence, I wasn't willing to go all in and and uh, and and back just set piece in here, despite him being my top selection. But uh, I thought that he with the uh, with the probable uh, race shape um, set piece is just the best horse in this field. When he's moved up in class above this level to the grade ones, he's been a little bit below some of the best in the in the business, best in the country. But other than that, he's a consistent late running horse that should be flying late. Hey, hey, Scott. Oh, I'm sorry, Howard. I was just going to ask Scott something real quick. You mentioned him a little off uh, on an off course. And I was looking at the same thing where on the good tracks, he hasn't run as well. But they were also in grade one level against some pretty high quality horses. So you, it's always hard to, to determine if it was the was it the cut in the ground that gave him the trouble or was it just the fact that he was in some some pretty high class races? So I, I always wonder how that's going to shake out. 
That's a great point. That's a great point, Pete. One thing I will say, I remember when they brought this horse over and he had his first start, it was at Churchill uh, after coming overseas. And I just remember hearing that part and a lot of it's often the case with some of these European imports, either they want to run on Lasix or they want to run over a uh, firm turf course. And I just remember them talking about how he performs best over a firm course. But that is a very fair point. If you look at some of those uh, yielding or good turf courses, the Arlington Million, the Makers Mark Mile, the Woodbine Mile, all grade one events. I took a real close look at the number one Harlan Estate, and I'm very glad that, um, Scott, you like this horse a little bit, and Pete's got this horse second. Um, ran, I thought, deceptively well last time in the Arlington grade three against uh, set piece and, and get smoke. And it's, again, it's hard to watch the replays through DRF. So we're not going to show the replay, but had a little bit of sneaky trouble. I really didn't consider the off turf situation. I'm going to have to dive a little bit deeper. What do you like about this one, Scott, as a possible upset from the rail? Yeah, well, one thing is this uh, Whit Beckman, if you're not familiar with him, former Chad Brown assistant, it's all in due time, he's going to have some nice horses and he's starting to win some races uh, in general after a little bit of a slow start. Two back, this horse showed that he has the tactical speed to be involved early if they go slow up front, going uh, basically one-two around the track with a horse named Tiberius Mercurius. And then last time he was able to relax off the pace in the Arlington a little bit faster. So I like his versatility. I like the inside draw. And he does appear to be a horse that won't get caught up in an early battle, which I think may happen here, but instead could be able to sit that pocket trip and save ground throughout. Yeah, he's he's sort of the fresh face that I that I think is a little bit interesting. Uh, Paul and Pete, you guys both have the four. I'll let you guys talk about the four, and then I'll make a quick mention of the three, and we'll move on. Uh, Get Smokin is going to have the lead most likely. There is other speed on the outside. He's talented. I think his better days are behind him, Pete and Paul. And my my main concern though is if he couldn't win last time, how is he going to win this time? Because I thought he got away with murder last time and still can get the job done. That being said, if the turf is soft and he handles it and he gets loose, he can win this race. Yeah, I, I think he can. I almost picked uh, uh, picked him on top. I think uh, rounding back into form is is the, the, the comment I wrote on my PPs. Uh, you know, that was a six-horse field last time that set piece had to navigate his way through. Uh, it's a 10 horse field this time could be coming from further back. And um, yeah, uh, you know, again, turf condition, we're going to have to find out uh, obviously a, a horse like this, you'd rather have it uh, quicker, uh, yeah. uh, firmer rather. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I certainly could envision a scenario where this horse leads them all the way around. Pete, any final thoughts on the one or four or anyone else? I'll talk about the three briefly. No, I was just going to say on the four, it's nice sometimes in these races when you're when you're relying on the favorite to be a, a deep closer. It's nice to have the speed because how many times do we get – we always say it. How many times do we get pissed because some speed horse got on the front and beat the horse that you thought was going to come off the pace and they let one horse go and just runs around the turf track. So I don't mind having the speed. You figure no one's going to outclose set piece, so either get smoke and hopefully holds or the one comes through – or set piece just rolls by. So you figure if you have those three, maybe you're covered. To a sharp guy like Scott, I'm sure he's never gotten beat by a loose on the lead 25. He never had. Guys, I'm very interested in Camp Hope. And when I say very interested, I mean, I legitimately think this is the one that could do it. Um, 
I think he's rounding back into form also. And he used to be more of a speed horse, guys. And now Brian Hernandez and Kenny McPeak have turned him into a horse that's rateable and can close. I was really impressed with his win last time. And I love the way this horse reaches out. He really, uh, he's got a very long stride. He's still only five years old. I think there's some upside here. And I love, Scott, when horses change tactics and start doing it effectively. It's one of my pet handicapping angles in in years of handicapping where you see a horse change his or her style and they start doing effectively. I really like that. And the last thing is he has run well on soft turf. You go back to Keeneland. So I think this horse can handle it. He's got to step up also like a lot of these others. This is my, you know, sort of wacko horse that, that might upset set piece, uh, Scott. Any thoughts on Camp Hope? Well, great point about the uh, uh, results over an off off turf course because twice at Keeneland won races back in 2021 towards yeah. the tail end of this three year old campaign. Admittedly, I've become frustrated with this horse. I liked him a couple of times and he underwhelmed. And then last time he got a favorable race shape and finished the deal. So maybe that has led me to uh, being a little less bullish on Camp Hope than you, Howard. But uh, I think I'm going to move him up, particularly if the uh, going is not firm. Yeah, I think I, we might see some scratches, too. Again, we'll have to see. It's hard 48 hours out. We'll see. Everyone check track conditions, check scratches and changes. We'll see what happens. Let's go on to the big one. This is the big one of the day, and this is one hell of a race. And I'm not just saying that because it's a – a big grade one. I mean, this is a loaded field. I love Scott opening up PPs and seeing several with hundred plus buyer figs. Cause unfortunately in this day and age, Scott, it doesn't feel like we see that too often, but we see that in the Stephen Foster this year for sure. Of course, it's a grade one. It's a win in your end for the breeders cup. They're going a mile and an eighth older males. Of course, it's a, not a huge field, but it's a real solid field of eight. And it's tough to make a morning line here because it's wide open. The morning line favorite is the number five. Smile happy for McPeak, who's got also rally and roll in this race. Corey Lannery's on smile happy. Scott, as I put all of us on screen, they were considering the Met Mile. They decided to go here. My first question is, why do you think they did that? And the big question of the day is, can smile happy replicate that massive 110 buyer he got last time? Well, to answer the first question first, Howard, I think it's probably a combination of two things. Wanting, one, getting to run out of your own backyard-ish in Kentucky as opposed to shipping. And then the, the maybe the, uh, the one-turn mile slash Cody's wish was a little bit more of a question mark than running at a mile and an eighth here in the Stephen Foster. I could have seen them going either way. Um, and opting for this spot, obviously, at a home track of mine makes me happy because Smile Happy has been a really good four-year-old after being really a, a competitive two-year-old, of course, winning the Kentucky Jockey Club underwhelming a little bit as a three-year-old he was good not great but he's really bounced back and he's run two huge races out of this three to start off his four-year-old campaign and he's so popular amongst all four of us you only have him third and myself pete and paul don't have him anywhere um, actually that's the those aren't the i was going to tell you that but that's oh, the oh, nice race, race up there. i'm sorry yeah, yeah, my yeah. bad i didn't switch the banners hello host Maybe fail host <laughs> fail scott's got him third pete you've got him second sorry but paul and i don't have him um, Scott, I want to see it again. I don't know. I don't know if that's how the rest of the panel feels, but I just want to see it again. I know he's very capable. You're going with a very likable horse that 
if the track is a bit speed favoring, this is one of those that's going to be up close. West Willpower, Cox and Pratt, 7-2. to two, Very honest and it has great tactile speed. And the question is, will he get caught up in a pace that might be too quick? You obviously say no. Well, here's the thing. If you look at just the Ali Sheba with the two morning line favorites, Smile Happy and West Willpower, it's pretty difficult to run back West Willpower, who was the three to five favorite that day and got pressed throughout by Smile Happy and had no yeah. answer. Couple of reasons I, I'm bumping West Willpower back up and Smile Happy down. One, Smile Happy has shown tactical speed in his career, but he's never popped the gate and been right on the speed like he was that day. It just seemed like it was his day. He was breathing down West Willpower's neck throughout, and he ran a monster race, not taking anything away from him. Also, I was disappointed in West Will's performance in the Ali Sheba, but when you look back, it's very, very possible that he regressed off of a career best effort in the New Orleans Classic, which I thought was awesome. And then you add the mile and a 16th to a mile and an eighth, which I definitely think benefits West Will Power. And we have to see with Smile Happy. There's certainly questions whether, I mean, not by watching him run, but he just has to prove that he can run as well at nine furlongs instead of eight and a half. Yeah, this is a really good horse. And if Smile Happy doesn't great, uh, doesn't break wonderfully, Scott, an angle of mine, I'm sure you've seen this a million times, I don't like horses that don't break well when they have a horse to their outside that does break well because sometimes they can get pinched or steady. It's just one of those sort of – I mean, you never know how they're going to break, Scott. But it's something that I pay attention to, and if, uh, you know, if you're correct on what might happen, that would be a big negative for Smile Happy. There's no way he's going to get the same trip as he did last night. Totally agreed. Look at that a little more in one turn races than two turn or quick runs That's true. into the uh, first turn in two turn races. But I look at it, Howard, and if you look where Smile Happy is drawing, he's inside two speeds or outside Stiletto Boy and speed bias and inside Westwell Power. So if he doesn't break great, he could get a little bit of a shuffle, like you said. And a little bit of a shuffle has been a big difference at Ellis Park. Granted, we haven't seen grade one horses go nine furlongs yet at Ellis, but uh, getting out of the gate has been ultra important. And I want to lean on horses that have do- that have done that regularly in their career. Scott, the number three speed bias absolutely ripped my heart out last time. I mean, ripped my heart out. I love this horse last time. He was getting pressed the whole way. He ran huge. He ran so much better than Rattle and Roll. It's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, the form line doesn't even come close to telling. I almost put this horse in my top three or, you know, maybe even an upset. I just thought there was too much speed. It was inside and outside, Scott. But this is the now horse that's rounding into form that might be the horse to upset everyone at a price. Man, that was a brutal beat in the Pimlico brutal. special. You just you didn't even know you got beat. It was such oh. a tough beat. Ah, terrible. Sorry to hear that, Howard. But <laughs> that's all right. You mentioned the now horse, though, and you look around, and there's a number of horses that are run a ton of good races. Yeah. Some of them don't have early speed, and I think they may struggle over this racetrack. Speed bias is coming into the race in the best form of his career. Two of his last three efforts have been his big career best efforts. There you see it on the buyer scale, 99, and then a 101. And then he's got speed and he's got Luis Saez. So I could definitely see a case where speed bias gets maybe a little outclassed here and gets caught between West Will Power and Stiletto Boy. But at 12 to 1, I'm going to use him as a B for sure in this spot. Yep. that's I've got six horses in this race, and I have him as a B as well. 
Uh, Pete and Paul, let's get to you guys. I think there's quite a bit of speed in here. Now, we never know. We've said this a thousand times, Pete and Paul, but this is a grade one. It's what is a uh, million dollar purse. There. I mean, if they don't go in this race, I don't even know what to say. I mean, Stiletto Boy, you would think is going to go or at least be up close. Speed Bias wants to be up close. Uh, Smile Happy, you would think would probably be up close. West Willpower definitely wants to be up close. So, um, you know, the, the outside horse is not so much. You think it's going to set up, uh, Pete, let's go to you, for Proxy. This horse that we, I've picked on the show several times. He's been, sometimes he disappoints, sometimes he wins. He's long-winded. Stidham does a great job spotting this horse, Pete. I, I think Stidham is fantastic anyway, but what he's done with this horse, I think, is amazing. Almost $2 million, Pete. You've got Proxy on top. Yeah, I do. Real quick on, on Smile Happy, though. One thing that, that sort of turned me off, I'm on the win end if you're trying to beat the favorite. The McPeak-Lannery, not a huge Lannery guy. The McPeak-Lannery combo in graded stakes, one for 21. So, and, and he hasn't had a ton of success on this horse. He was He's only one for one for four on this horse. So if you're, if you're looking to, and if you, like you guys were talking, if he does get shuffled, maybe, you know, maybe the ride sort of does him in a bit, but going to, going to proxy, this is just a horse I really like that I think is just sort of rounding into form. I mean, he's, he's only five that last race. I, he runs, he, he sort of just runs late, like super late. Like you look like he, he may not get going. And then yeah. all of a sudden he kicks in and he just has a huge kick. Now we got Rosario who we all know lately has gotten some horses in a, in a bit of trouble or two, which he's done with this horse. But I think if we can get the speed up front, Proxy does sort of, I don't mind him being on the rail and he's going to probably be in the back anyway. So as long as he can get a clear run late, I think that's what he needs. Just swing him wide, give him sort of a straight shot. And I think if we get enough speed up front, I think he can outkick late. But to me, I'm sort of, I have sort of like three or four horses that are on the same level in this race to me. And it's going to depend on trip and, and sort of racing luck at that point. Scott, I might sound contradictory in a minute when I go through my horse, but I don't know if Proxy suits this track, Scott. He's like a real grinder. He doesn't really accelerate. It seems like he'd be better at Churchill with a longer stretch. I like the horse. I just there's something about Alice Park that I don't like for Proxy, Scott. Am I am I do you think I have a point there or what? I do, and it's a shame because I, I echo all the positives that has been said about this well-bred son of Tappet. Stidham's done a great job. He appears to be in the best form of his career as a five-year-old. He's routed off a number of high-quality performances other than the Pegasus World Cup in a row. But he just takes a while to get going. And with Joe all aboard, I'm worried that he hasn't been riding the Ellis main track. He's likely to be very relaxed like he normally is and tries to come with a late run. And that just hasn't worked thus far. Doesn't mean it won't. We might, we've got a lot of rain today. If the track starts drying out, things could change. But I am afraid of the racetrack for Proxy. And, Paul, you've got Rail and Roll. You know I have much love for Rail and Roll. I've been a fan of his since he won at Keelan. He's become more tactical, Paul. So I understand why you've got him on top. I think he's got a big shot uh, in a tough race. Yeah, as Pete said, that you have three or four that you could make a pretty good case for at least. And uh, yeah, I, I I know it's you know he's got a class up. He's, he's going up to the uh, the deep end of the pool here, but really in form. Uh, thought he ran well in the Pimlico Special, Howard. I'm sorry, just a bit too well for you. That yeah. was a ridiculous beat. Uh, Thought he came back uh, last time with with another good effort. I just think he's in career form. 
you talked about the, the triple digit buyers. He's got four in a row. Um, you know, the thing about proxy, it's look at the horse has got one grade one win. All right. It was at Churchill and he was second. So what the hell is the deal with having to ride him from the back of the pack every time? And it's not just Rosario who does that because he's infatuated with it, but Johnny V <laughs> did the same thing in the, in the uh, center and eat a handicap. I mean, the horse has got one grade one win and he won from being forwardly placed. So let's ride him from the back of the pack all the time. I, I just don't get it from the one. He could get a good trip if they put any type of effort in, you know, keeping him in touch with the field and especially, you know, listening to Scott, who's watching this stuff every day about how the track's playing. If they don't do that, it sounds like it's gross negligence to me. Scott. No, I agree with all said. Now, one thing I will say, the Clark handicap is the grade one that uh, Paul's speaking of. And there wasn't a lot of speed signed on. And no. Westfield Power was did look like lone speed. And Joel, out of character, gave him one, you know, a tremendous ride. And we know how it is with Rosario. You know, one of the best there is in this generation. But he's so up and down. When he's on fire, he's doing everything right. And when he's not, he's sitting back and letting the race come to him. And uh, I'm a little bit worried with the state that he's in right now. And I do think there's a lot more speed in this race. But that being said, he's got a lot better chance if he's ridden for position out of the gate and can avoid getting caught way in the back. Guys, I have a pretty strong opinion here. And I'm either going to look like a complete fool on Saturday or look pretty smart. I really like last night. And I just don't understand why the source isn't getting – any love here and uh, i don't when i say here i don't mean on this show but i've been watching and you know listening to people the experts blah 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 this horse um if they're basing it off the last race okay let's talk about the ali sheba for a second scott he was coming back quick in three weeks it didn't work out we know d wayne is not afraid to run a horseback quick Look at his previous races. He was fantastic at Oaklawn. He was coming around at Gulfstream, which is not a horse, uh, not a track you can close on. He's got numbers that fit. He's tactical. Um, Torres knows him well. I know he's not the biggest name jock, but I sort of like that, Scott, because I know I'm going to get my price. D Wayne has finally given this horse, what, almost two months' rest. He's got him cranked for this race. He's going to get a nice outside, stocky kind of trip with all the speed scott and i think the source prefers to be on the outside i might get at least six to one i just i i really like the source saturday we'll see what happens but i'm i think he's got a huge shot well you're gonna get the price and no doubt christian torres is uh nothing to worry about i don't know how his ride will be particularly here but he's made a fantastic impression both here and at oakland of course this winter i think he won the title there Couple concerns. One, can he bring his race outside of Oakland, his best race? He has in the past, but his most recent best efforts have all been at Oakland. And he seems to be a little bit better with Lasix. Now, it's kind of like looking at the grade one races where we were looking with set piece and his poorest performances were over off surfaces, but against the best competition. Well, that's sometimes is tr tricky to figure out with this Lasix, non-Lasix stuff. Yeah. A lot of the times it's the best races. These horses are not running without Lasix on. But if you look at it face value, his most four, his four best, most recent efforts all have Lasix. And the two non, uh, the two weaker of those efforts are without Lasix. So that's a little bit of a concern. But you're going to get a good price. And I'm not against anything you said otherwise. Scott, it's a great point. Pete, this is Pete's pet peeve over there, this whole Lasix thing. And Ugh. I've always said, Scott, that I'm not smart enough to figure out if Lasix was the reason 
because there's still a zillion other there's things. No way but, to know. There's no way for you to know, Howard. But you make a great point. I know Pete wants to comment because he's been right more than wrong about this exact uh, subject we're talking about. Pete. Well, I, I was going to say I agree with Scott because that was the note I had too was you question the Lasix. But also I feel like even though he ran well, pretty well two back, I feel like a mile and a 16th and down is his best distance. The one for 10 at a mile and an eighth scared me just a touch. I think there's potentially a couple of better I think there's a couple horses in here who do what they do the same as him and they do it a little bit better. So that was my concern. I mean, he's, he's basically a B for me. So I, not like I was like, I don't think he could win the race, but when you're splitting hairs, I thought this was one of the best races we've done on the show this year. Cause maybe not like, I don't think there's a superstar, but just top end, even quality. So I was like, if you're splitting hairs between all horses that look the same, you have to find something. And between the Lasix and sort of the one for 10 at the distance, I was like, ah, that's enough to maybe drop last samurai down a notch for me. But if he won, I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't be a surprise at all. That's a great point you make, Pete. I think, you know, what we find out about these top tier races is if there's not a superstar per se in it, they tend to be better betting races, more fun to handicap. And I think yeah. that's exactly what we have here. We've got kind of like B plus type horses, some B, some B minuses and a bunch of them, but we don't have anybody that anybody's scared of per se. Yeah, I like that because now we're not going to get a, you know, you're not sitting there going, ah, it's going to take an A plus effort to beat this horse. Whereas right. all of these, I'm like, even Happy American on his best day, I feel like could upset this field and you wouldn't be, you know, you wouldn't be stone cold shocked about it. No, it's, can it's can I great... just, can I just say one thing? I'm right. positive Last Samurai is not going to win this race. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> wow. Wow. Is there I'm not a sure. Reason, Paul? I, I, don't know. I can't yeah, let, he, let that go. Yeah, Is there no, a particular reason, Paul? Yeah, he's he does. Every time he runs against really the horses he's running against, he loses with the exception of beating West Willpower once. The little boy's beaten him twice. West Willpower's beaten him four times. Proxy's beaten him twice, et cetera, et cetera. He's great at Oaklawn. This, they did move this race out of Churchill, but they did not move it to Arkansas. <laughs> Get a map and let's move on. Okay. Listen, I like I said. Talk I'm, about I'm, the banter, Howard. You're gonna get the price, Howard. We all we all knocked your horse. I'm not going away from at least underneath, guys. I'm using this horse. <laughs> I'm gonna use this horse, Paul Halloran. Let's all go right. to last race. Let's go to last race, guys. It's the Tuppin. What a what a fantastic animal she was. Wow. Uh, three year olds, Phillies, of course. They're going a mile on the turf. A big field of nine. You got a more line favorite. I think it's Kajira. I believe it sounds like a K sound. For Bauer and Leperu, um, Scott, this looks like a very uh, honest filly who was just who's rounding back into into form and should get a nice trip and might be tough to beat here. Impressed with your pronunciation, very Kijira is uh, the way Kijira, to say yep. it. Yeah, nice job, nice job. Uh, I've always thought highly of this daughter of Nyquist who ran a huge second. Uh, on debut at Saratoga in one of those two-turn turf races uh, in the upstate New York last summer. Came back and won the next start. And then Phil Bauer sent this horse into the deep end, the Darley Alcibiades, the grade one at Keeneland. She ran a good fourth, the Wonder Wheel. Brutal trip in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies turf. Sidelined since then. And she came back and was awesome in a first-level allowance event off the layoff. And what was most impressive to me is this is a horse that has tactical speed, and it was very possible that she was going to struggle to relax in her first start off a significant layoff. 
first start as a three-year-old filly as well. And she broke on top, but Julian Le Peru was able to relax her in second and relax her well off the pace. A little bit of a runoff that day, a couple of lengths off the lead. Um, I'm a little concerned with the potential speed in here. She is a filly that likes to be up and on the pace. She can relax a little bit off of it, but if they go cutthroat up front, I, I do think she's going to struggle to come uh, to outkick maybe someone from way out the back, but she's a super talented filly that I really have no desire in trying to beat. Yeah, I, I, she's a very likely winner if she gets the right trip. And and I know some people are negative with Leperu, which I've never completely fully understood. He can win on a, a, a horse that's more uh, forwardly placed. I don't have any problem with Drew in this particular race. She's a likely uh, winner here. Scott, you're going to three and second real quick. Heavenly Sunday, who upset the apple cart in the Edgewood and knocked me the hell out of the pick five on, on Oaks Day. I just, I, he, she's talented. I suppose she could win. This looks like on paper, a complete different pace scenario than she got on Oaks Day though, Scott. Agree where she did have to earn it. She did go 23 flat uh, the first quarter mile, but then Florent Giroux was yep. able to slow things down. And this filly owes me a lot of money. I better in the <laughs> Appalachian. I went five deep in the Edgewood, hit all four other legs and missed this one. So I, uh, I've got a little bit of a uh, grudge with, uh, with number three, Heavenly Sunday. But like you said, uh, Howard, I don't think she's going to be loose on the lead. She's going to have to earn it more than she did in the Edgewood when there were a couple of trouble trips behind her that might likely were better than her. She's legit. She deserves the money she's going to take, but I prefer Kajira if I'm looking at the logicals, and I do have concerns about the race shape. And, Scott, the last horse we'll talk about is the seven girl named Charlie, who I think is not impossible on top. Everyone needs to watch the two back because that Edgewood that we just talked about, that was the most ridiculous um, you know, legs in the stirrup, just like in the dashboard race I've ever seen. Morales had nowhere to go at all, Scott, the entire length of the stretch. Now, she didn't come back and run very well in the regret. My opinion is it's, it was a little bit too far, and she wants to be covered up. She doesn't want to be up close. I think this is a very interesting horse in a race that's pretty wide open. I think she's a little better than she looks on paper. I'm, I'm interested in her, and you are too a little bit. You have her third. Well, if I'm going to look to try to beat the favorites in here, it's going to be with a horse that I think can come from it off of it because the way that the top couple will lose if they battle each other in a defeat. And, and you nailed it, Howard. I mean, girl named Charlie, two back in the Edgewood, one of those trouble trips I spoke of. She just never got to run. Completely no. blocked along the inside. Mission of Joy was the other horse that Rosario was on that finished third, and she was best in the race. And then you mentioned it. She was up and on a uh, stalking mission of joy last time in the regret and really wasn't good in that race. But I think her better races or a better chance will be to be a little bit further off the pace. I don't think she'll have much of a choice in here because I don't think she's fast enough to keep up with the speed horses in this race gone one mile. So if girl named Charlie floats up above that six to one price, she definitely is a horse worth consideration if you're looking for a little more bang for your buck. Her two wins did come on Lasix too, by the way, just to good point. You, you hate to not mention it. I hate and that weird it. fairgrounds turf course, which was yep. certainly, yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. 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 Exactly. Pete and Paul, any thoughts from you guys? I think we, we covered a bunch of the horses. Safine uh, is not possible for Keneally. I even thought wonderful lady might actually prefer a soft turf. So if it comes up soft, you might want to upgrade the four Pete and Paul, any thoughts on any horses we already talked about? And then we'll wrap it up here with Scott. Yeah, I, I thought Safin, uh, I'm going to use Safin probably as a B here. I think the five's the most likely winner, but uh, buyers have improved consistently. Uh, 
you get Saez, the regular jockey. Uh, I think there's there's some things to like about the two. I have the only one yeah, I'll mention is the, the the six, maybe not as a win contender, at, but at a huge price. I, I thought in a field where I thought the the, the top horse is I like Shajira looks like the, maybe the best horse, but metaphysical I thought just always runs a race, especially on the turf, and she likes she's another one of those three out of five on the turf in second, three out of four in second at the distance. Maybe she just likes hitting the board, and if you can get her at twenty against a field that's not that great when you get past the top couple, why not? I think if it's not Kajira, it could be a lot of others. This is that's a, the, this yeah, is that's a the thing. Really yeah. interesting race, Scott. Before we let you go, let's quickly show everyone your pick five. We'll let we'll let Scott go, Pete and Paul, and then we'll show our pick fives as he leaves the uh, screen. There, Scott. Nice affordable pick five. You're going three, five, six, ten, eleven, with seven, with one, five, eight. With two, three, five, six, with five for thirty bucks, singling Hardy, Constitution, and Kajira. Very interesting ticket. Yeah, I think this is a you know I know we have some prices we like in here, but there are you know good cases to make for logicals in all five of the races. So I could see playing multiple tickets, trying to hit this multiple times. But I thought I'd play a ticket where we're not singling the most obvious horses, especially set piece. Um, or hoist the gold. I did take a chance with Hardy Constitution. Wouldn't blame anybody if they're playing the ticket, but want to double the price and adding a, a, a more. And then singled in the back with Kijira, who I think will be the favorite, but I'm not sure how many people will lean on her as a single. And then I'm getting coverage in the other three races, the Stephen Foster, and then in the races with the shortest favorites in set piece, and then the hoist the gold race to kick it off. I love it. Real quick, Kyle Roscoe, host of Benton Boozen. has got an eight with four, six, double, nine in the race nine to race 10 as his best bet. So I think what set piece into, you guys got to help me. I'm not sure the two of those, but anyway, he's rattle, got uh, rattle and roll, rattle and, roll and, 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 um, and West willpower. So that's some Kyle Roscoe. BMAC, hello from Young Sun, Ohio. Love the podcast. Thanks a lot, uh, BMAC. Uh, Scott, we're going to let you go, man. Really appreciate the time you spent with us. The analysis was awesome. Uh, hopefully the weather's going to cooperate Saturday. Say hi to uh, Joe Krustofek and all everyone there at Churchill Downs Incorporated for us. Uh, we are taking care of great, by the way, by Kevin Kirstein um, and Darren Rogers were awesome for the podcast. Got us media credentials. It was my first derby this past year, Scott. Same thing with Paul Halloran. We had a blast. So thank you to Churchill Downs. Thank you uh, for everything you do at Churchill. And good luck on Saturday, Scott. Yeah, it was great joining you guys. Love chatting, uh, obviously, ponies all the time. That's my job. But chatting with new folks, particularly Kentucky Racing's fun. And uh, next year we'll have to hook up if you get back for the uh, Derby for the podcast. But glad to hear you guys uh, well taken care of. And uh, let's crush them on Saturday, guys. Absolutely. Thanks, we will be back for the Derby next year, no doubt. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. Take Thanks, care. Scott. Great weekend. Take care, man. Bye-bye. All right, Scott Shapiro, awesome, guys. There's his ticket. Let's go through our pick five tickets, and I'll tell you what's going to happen the rest of the show. Uh, Paul, you're next. You're gonna, Paul's going 3-6 with 1-3-6-7 with 4-8 with 1-4-5-6 with 2-3-5, 96 bucks, Paul. Quickly, what's your thoughts here on your ticket? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not an efficient – I wouldn't play a caveman in the sequence because, you know, giving the Queen Jewels equal treatment to – Hoist the gold is is not the smartest thing, but I did want to be able to hit it with the Queen Jewels because of the price. Uh, you know, I, I, you could see the legs that I spread, and even the last leg where I think the five is pretty logical. Um, 
you know, I'm kind of with Pete. I, I didn't get to the 20 to one shot, but you know, I want to be able to have a few others. The, the two is five to one. That might be okay. Heavenly Sunday's nothing clever, but yeah, I, I'd like to have more than one alive going to the last. Beautiful. And don't leave anyone because we got Eddie Olchek is coming up in any minutes now with Jim Miller to talk about his contest score and a little NHL talk with Connor Bedard as the number one pick for our Chicago Blackhawks here in my hometown. So don't get anywhere, folks. Eddie O is coming on very soon here as we finish up. Uh, Pete's pick five, three, four, six, seven, ten, eleven, with six, with one, four, eight, with one, three, four, five, six, with three, five, ninety bucks, Pete. Yeah, the first leg, again, I'm with Paul with in the efficiency standpoint, not the best idea, but for the purposes of this ticket, I think hoist the gold is vulnerable. And I think if you're going to beat that horse, I think a bunch of other horses can do it. I don't think there's really one standout beyond hoist the gold. So I went super deep there. I love Amore. So I'm going to, that's the one I'm going to use as the single set piece. Again, I was comfortable sort of trying to beat him only because he's an off the pace closer in the, in the foster I, like I said, I think you're pretty even. So I went with sort of five deep, although none of them are our last samurai, Paul. So so if that one wins, I'm knocked out. And then in the last Don't worry leg, about it. I'm you're not right. worried. I'm not too worried. In the last leg, I, I think the two the two top choices are logical. I mentioned the three metaphysical. That would be sort of a, a B level for me. But um yeah, I think there's there's a couple spreadier legs where I think anything can happen and you're hoping to beat. I mean, God, this this came out to be a chalky sequence. It would suck if it's, you know, yeah, if it's hoist works. the gold, Amore, yeah. set could, piece. Too. Yeah. So, and Sajira, then it would be, that would not be a great payout. It could. I'm not expecting that, but, but, I, you know, it definitely could. I mean, I, I'm not, I don't, I try to be chalk in general. Uh, we have a comment from uh, a Blue Smoker, nice assessment of the races. Good luck, punters. Blue Smoker, if you're from the UK or from Europe, thanks for joining the show. The, the Davy Lane effect is like the rich strike effect, guys. We're getting, more viewers from Europe. I love it. Blue smoker weather, no matter where you're yeah, from. Yeah, except for... one difference. Davy performs well all the time, not just once. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Davy, Davy does perform well. Uh, guys, my ticket is coming up right now. I'm going with one single and it's set piece. Although I will say, if the track, if the if the turf is soft, that that will change my ticket here that you see at the bottom. I think the first race is wide open. I'm going one, six, seven, eight. 10, 11. I've got some wacky bombs in there in those numbers. With 5, 6, with 8, with 1, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, in a wide open Stephen Foster, in my opinion. With the 5, 7, that's uh, Kajira and Girl Named Charlie. Not a ton of confidence with that last leg, but you got to you know pick your spot somewhere. $72. If the turf is relatively firm, I think set piece is the most likely winner of the sequence, even over hoist the gold and Amore. That's just my opinion. Um, I don't love any of the singles to be very honest. This, this is, this is going to be tricky guys. It's going to be a lot of fun. Hopefully the weather is going to cooperate before we bring on Eddie Ocek and uh, Jim Miller. Uh, any final thoughts guys on Saturday at Ells Park? Go ahead, Paul. No, I, I think it's or anywhere uh, else. Yeah, well, I think it's a good, uh, it's a good sequence and, while it could chalk out, I don't think they will all win. You know, I yep, definitely I think one of those top three logicals in those races where you would be tempted to single, I don't I don't think they'll all win. So I, I think you could be okay. 
It's a fun it's day. It's fun day. Great stakes races. I think the Foster again. There's no superstar, but I think it's a super competitive race, and, and it should be a fun betting race, and it's a good sequence. And like you mentioned, we did a Belmont show earlier today, which I think that was that looks like a pretty good sequence as well, yeah. with a couple of really really tough races similar to the first one here, where it's like, all right, if this horse doesn't win, all hell could break loose. So I think there's a couple good sequences. So. So please check out both of those shows and, and check out those sequences and let's make some money. Yeah, we got three videos this week and uh, Woodbine. Oh yeah, the Alice. Woodbine is awesome. Yeah, the Woodbine. Woodbine what is that? Five graded stakes. Yep. Yeah. Now here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna have you guys leave the screen in a second. I just want to give everyone forewarning. Um, and I knew this before, so I don't mean. Eddie Olchuk had a family dinner, so he's not going to be live here coming up. But I did a 25-minute taped episode with him and Jim Miller. It was fascinating. Everyone should stick around. Pete and Paul will let you go in a second, but everyone should stick around. And the, the chat will be open. So I'm going to stay here for the 25 minutes, obviously, for those of you uh, listening and watching live. If you want to comment on anything that Jim Miller or Eddie Olchek say, go ahead and put in the live chat, and we'll just have our – conversation going on in the live chat as everyone watches the 25 minute taped episode and then when the 25 minutes is over i will wrap it up on my own uh pete and paul you're also welcome to stay in the green room of course if you want for that conversation with eddie o and jim miller pete and paul thanks a lot guys good luck on saturday thank you, you guys all right all right here we go so this is gonna be a taped episode we filmed it earlier today with eddie olchek and Jim Miller about Eddie Olchek's unbelievable score when he had an 81 to one shot that he knocked out of the park Sunday at Hawthorne. And then a short conversation at the very end about the NHL draft. I will say that um, Eddie O's mic was fine. There's a, little, a touch of crackling a little bit. It shouldn't be that much of a bother. Just want to give you a heads up on that. So let me go ahead and bring up the uh, taped interview with Eddie Olchek. And Jim Miller, enjoy it, and then I'll be back at the end to wrap up the show. Enjoy the um, taped episode. Here we go, folks. And now I'm here with Jim Miller, the director of racing from Hawthorne Racecourse. Jim, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'll tell you, it was an exciting week of racing that we're just getting off of, the Hawthorne Derby with active football winning. But... The Horse Players Invitational, I'll tell you, was really the story, Howard. That was an absolute blast. It was so cool. Very well produced. A lot of fun. We missed you, of course, but you know what? You'll get another opportunity when we have it back next year. Well, congratulations congratulations, to my brother who got married on Sunday. So, of course, family duties call. But I will, I look forward to being there again. Before we uh, bring on our special guest and winner of this year's Hawthorne Invite, invite uh, Mr. Eddie Olchek, Let's talk very quickly about some uh, promotions we have because we've got a big weekend coming up on this show and Hawthorne Racecourse, and it's happening. Let me take down your banner right there. First of all, on Saturday, the 15th of July, so that's two weeks from this Saturday, we have another pool party. We appreciate the invitation. It's going to be at the Crestwood OTB, myself, Matt Miller, Kyle Roscoe. I believe a Charlie Freeman will be there also from Benton and Booze, and you give us $1,000 to bet. It's only $35 for the customers, it includes appetizers, uh, a race program, and then we share the profits. It's a great time. And perhaps our guest here coming on, if he's not busy on the 15th, I'll be inviting him. If he likes it, we'd love to have Eddie uh, stop by for our uh, uh, pool party, but it's going to be a lot of fun, Jim. 
uh, pool parties are always a blast. And here's the thing, like you mentioned, for just 35 bucks, you're getting program, you get in, into the facility, you get a part of the player's pool, food and drink. And here's the thing, we've had some very successful pool parties where for that $35, people have been leaving with close to $200. So it's not one of those where you're just going and saying, okay, yes, I'm just playing the $35 and that's it and we'll have a blast because you're going to have a blast anyway. But there's the potential to make some money with this too. Learn about wagering, learn about just kind of handicapping strategies as well, and then see it actually put into action. So when you take those risks and they pay off, everybody gets excited. And this is times when we've had really good returns with between 30, 40, 50 people there. So it's one of those things where it is. It's a whole lot of fun, and uh, hopefully everybody can join us for that on the uh, 15th of July. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. Now, on the 16th of July, the very next day, we're going to have a live uh, podcast here at HH Racing Podcast. I'm going to be live on track. I'll be with you to some extent on the simulcast feed, but then, of course, we're going to have our own uh, feed as well on our on YouTube. We'll be talking to some trainers and jockeys, hopefully, after the races. So we're going to have exclusive access, Jim. Anyone is invited to come. We're going to have some room on the apron. I believe I talked to Dakota Schultz today um, and Director of Marketing. And so anyone is welcome to come join us, of course, at Hawthorne. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, myself, and I'll have the pleasure of uh, standing next to you for a few spots on the uh, simulcast feed. That should be a lot of fun as well. We'll have to find out how the height difference is between you and I when we get side-by-side, uh, -side, Howard. But uh, – I'll tell you, you'll, you'll see kind of what I do for a setup when I interview a lot of riders as well. But yeah, it will be a lot of fun. It's one of those things where summer racing here in the Chicagoland area, you get a lot of turf racing, you get some good quality racing. We're starting to see two-year-olds as well come here as we're going to have our first two-year-old races this upcoming Sunday. So should be an absolute blast. Look forward to having you out. And hopefully a lot of the uh, viewers and listeners can come out and join us and get to meet everybody in person too. Well, I appreciate that. And last thing I'll say, uh, I rumor is there's going to be um, so a contest on the line will be through me. I think Hawthorne's going to be giving out a nice little prize if we whoever can win. We're thinking about doing like a $2 pick and pray kind of thing for the last three or four races. All that's in the works, but I hear there's going to be a cash prize as well for the viewers on our podcast, those people who are watching, similar to what we did at Canterbury Park. So, again, huge weekend, July 15th and 16th with Hawthorne Racecourse and the HHH Racing Podcast. Now, Let's get on to the real star of the show. As we said, last Sunday was the Hawthorne invite. And uh, wow, what a crazy result, a crazy ending with an 81 to 1 shot winning in the last race of the contest. And the gentleman we're going to bring on right now was the winner. And he crushed, and I mean, crushed the competition. This year's 2023 20, Hawthorne invite winner, NBC Zone. Eddie Olchek. Eddie, how you doing? Congratulations. Hey, Howard, Jim. Thanks a lot. Great to be with you guys, and uh, I appreciate you having me on. And Yeah, it was nice to uh, get back to the south side. I, I grew up about a mile and an eighth from uh, the uh, Club Hawthorne there in Crestwood. I grew up in Palos Heights, and uh, it brought back a lot of memories because that's where I kind of got my... Uh, Got my lay of the land of, uh, you know, learning how to handicap and, uh, you know, getting to uh, Hawthorne and getting to Old Sportsman's Park, which was right next door back in the day day. And uh, so it was nice to go back to the south side, see some familiar faces, not only the great people at Hawthorne, but uh, also some familiar uh, handicappers and uh, people working at the uh, Club Hawthorne. So it was, a, it was a great day. And Obviously, it couldn't have worked out any better. And uh, look, you need a little luck, as you guys both know, in horse racing. 
you can handicap all you want, but you do need a little bit of luck as well. And you got to be able, when you're playing in a cash tournament, you got to be able to manage your money and know when to press and then other times know when to kind of back off. So it was, uh, it was a terrific day and uh, very proud to have uh, beaten a real talented group of handicappers. A, a very talented uh, group of people in the room. Jim, how many people competed? Tell a little bit for those who are not familiar with the Hawthorne invite, which was different than the NHC contest right. that you had open to the public for Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, the Hawthorne Invitational is something where, as you mentioned, it's an invitational-only contest, and it's one of the things where we're trying to bring in a lot of the top handicappers across the country. And it started with about 30 people, and then it's grown and grown and grown to what we had this year, where there were 56 contestants plus three who qualified for the Saturday contest. But as you know, I mean, there were NHC champions, Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge champions. Eddie is a Pegasus Challenge champion. There's handicappers that are all very talented. They're very strong handicappers. They are guys that aren't going to go out there and, and just kind of try to ease into a contest. They jump right into the contest. So that's the cool thing about it. And with the Invitational, watching everybody talk strategy, being able to put that out on the YouTube channel and see just how a contest comes through and then how it culminated at the end. It was one of those things where we make it at the end where you kind of have to try to make that biggest splash. And uh, I'll tell you, Edzo definitely did so in that last race. Well, it was a lot of fun. Now, we could talk about the contest for an hour, but we only have a few minutes here. So, Eddie, let's talk about your general strategy. Now, you had to bet $250, all the contestants, $250 in some optionals and some mandatories. And the last race, which we're going to focus on, everyone did have $750 to bet, which is, as you know, a little bit unusual for a live money contest. Mm -hmm. um, I've played many as well as you, of course, and you know, sometimes you can just fire right away and you don't have any money left at the end. But everyone did have $750. So the first question I have before we show the race is, what was your general strategy going into the day, Eddie? Were you planning on playing a longer shot in the last race after you'd handicapped, which I assume you'd handicapped, you know, earlier in the day or the night before or whatever? Yeah, yeah, I would say yes. I, I was, uh, I knew that the last race, uh, the horse that I liked, uh, never thought in a million years uh, Command Central would be uh, going off at uh, north of 80 to 1. I thought maybe 35 to 1, but I never thought, you know, 81 to 1, because I thought in that particular field, I thought four, four horses, at least for me, didn't have a chance. And I didn't like the Catalano horse that I thought would be probably, you know, one of the two favorites in the race. And that's what ended up happening. So I kind of I kind of played it, I don't want to say safe, but I, I played horses I felt pretty confident in. I think when I'm, play, at least when I'm playing Howard and Jim in those cash tournaments is, is I'm a, I'm a big exacta, I'm a big trifecta type of guy to, to play in these type of tournaments. And if I really like a horse that is a good price, then I would say anything north of five to one in, a, in, a, in, in any race that you play, let alone a contest. If you like something underneath, I, I, I'm, I'm all in for exactas and, 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 uh, and trifectas. And if the horse is a really good price, like it was in the last race, obviously you're going to bet a few dollars to win. So I think my mind was made up as soon as I saw the forum and I went back and I did my homework on the last race, Howard, to the heart of your question, and knew that I was going to probably invest the most in any race that day, obviously, because you only can max out at 250 for the seven races. And then the last one, it's at least 750 and then whatever else you want to bet into it. So. I knew I was going to press in that last race. And as I learned a long time ago, and as I continue to preach is, uh, you know, we may know what the horse's odds are, but they don't. And uh, if you can 
get it and get lucky and bet it the right way, uh, you don't have to invest a whole heck of a lot to make a lot of money. And I think that's why we think this is the greatest uh, sports game that there is when it comes to wagering. And that's, do you remember what you, what place you were in before the last round? I was in seventh. I was in seventh. Yeah. I was okay, seventh. So, so I was, I was, I think I was maybe uh, like $1,800, $1,900 before the winter. So I had been fluctuating between third and fifth and seventh. And I went dry for a couple of races. I really blew the race before at, at Woodbine um, with the $250 max. I really liked the five and the 11. I think they were like three to one and, and uh, maybe seven to two or whatever. And I had used four horses underneath in try second and third, but, and then I played a heavy exacta with the five in the 11 and I didn't play the three horses that I used uh, on top. And sure enough, uh, the 25 to one shot beat me. And for a dollar, it came back 1500. So, you know, it was just one of those where, you know, I look back and look at you learn the hard way. Um, it was one of those where I look back and go, okay, well, you know, spend the extra seventy-seven dollars and 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 have it, you know, and, and and have it seven times, and then all of a sudden now you're probably in the lead, and you put a lot of pressure on everybody. So, um, but it was, you know, I hit a couple of good good races. I got a little lucky on a, on a photo at Belmont where a horse got up for an exacta. So, um, but it was, uh, you know, I, my plan going in was. Uh, I'm going to really press on a horse that I really liked in the last race and play him with Chris Block's horse and uh, ended up coming to fruition. As you guys know, there's nothing better when you put it all together and it actually crosses the wire that way. Uh, Jim, we're going to bring up the replay right yeah. now. What, what you're going to see is uh, a split screen from the Hawthorne Invitational. You're going to see uh, Eddie on the left side in the bottom left-hand <laughs> corner. You won't miss him, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't seen this video. And you're going to see, of course, the right, the, the on the right side of the screen, of course, Will be the race. We're gonna. There's no audio, is there? I hope. I hope there's. Uh, no well, I was gonna play some audio, but I know why you don't. Go ahead. Go ahead. Give them the audio, Eddie. It's been seen hundreds of thousands. It's, it's of on. Times. It's Give okay. The there's one little, uh, you know, expletive. But how? If I had maybe one shot, was ready to win fifty-six grand. <laughs> I, I wouldn't mind, Eddie. I think we all uh, can uh, appreciate that. So let me go ahead and bring it up. We'll go ahead and bring it up with sound here in just a second here as I bring it up. Um, and then Eddie, let's just watch the race, and then we'll get. Well, I'll sure. bring it back without yeah. sound. So sure. here was the last race. Eddie Olchek crushing Command Central at eighty-one to one. There you go, Eddie. Now the great Jim, the great thing about that video, and we're gonna I'm gonna bring it back without sound in a second here, guys. Jim, not only is it awesome that he's crushed within 81, but the room was like silent. Like people cannot, no one had this horse and people cannot believe like, who's this knucklehead cheering on this 81 <laughs> shot that no one has, Jim? It was just well, a classic OTB video. You're, 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 you're a horse player, Eddie. I mean, that's what you do when you have a score like that. You get excited. You don't go out there to play to play just to kind of sit back and be calm and be like, or oh, whatever. You get that excitement about playing the horses. And I've always told people, 
whether you're betting two bucks on a horse or 200 on a horse, you can get the same excitement out of that. So when you see it come to fruition and you were super calm until about the quarter pole. And then when you realize this horse still had something left, yeah, then it was right. like, all right, let's go. Then you ride the horse to the wire too. I've done it thousands of times. It's just what you do when you're around for that long. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, when I was watching a race, I'm like, okay, you know, like, like the one thing that I went back and I've had, you know, hundreds of people ask me, how did I come up with this horse? And at the end of the day, it was like, I thought his last two races, even though he stopped one on the turf and then one on and off the turfer, he, he, he tried all the way to the end, you know, like he really tried and, and Olaf Fernandez, I mean, he really didn't get into him, but I just thought that if he could get to the front and get a little brave. And I, like I said, I didn't think the field was all that great. I just said, you know what? Um, I'm going to take my shot and take my chances. And when I saw him turning for home, I saw the four horse was in, I saw the block horse coming out on the outside, the deuce. And I thought these horses have been out in a, you know, they've been out all out here for a period of time. I'm like, if he lets this horse go just a little bit, maybe for, you know, if I could get some separation, I got a shot. And sure enough, like you said, I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, I've seen this act before. Right. And all of a sudden these other horses were in and, and, uh, and command central was looked like he had something left. And I'm like, I'm thinking back to watching the video. The last two races is like, he's going to keep trying and he might get brave here, you know? And, and, uh, if I can interrupt that, like right here, this is simple logic right here for Block. He was sort of in hand, and I again, I wasn't able to be there, so I watched this later. Just yeah. as a handicapper and watched the thousands of races, Eddie, I thought the two was going by like pretty easily. It looked like he was in hand. This is the Catalano in behind. Yeah. But yeah. then, you know, the jock on the nine, it reminded me a little bit of Pat Day, Jim, where it sort of sucks people in, and you don't think you have an, you know enough horse on the lead, but there's more. It was about... What point was it, Eddie, where you thought, you know, this right horse there. can hold on? Right was there. it right here? Right, right there, about yeah, here. He, just, yeah. once he, once he sort he of rebroke, right, Eddie? Yeah, once he used the crop the first time, I was like, okay, that's where I got a little excited. And now, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm over the top here because I'm riding him in. Of and, course uh, you Aaron are. Fernandez that's okay. Is, what, uh, 121 pounds. He didn't need another 235 <laughs> pounds. It was more like 2,000 pounds when, if I would have been on him. So, you know, I, I just – it was just one of those where – on paper, I didn't mind, even though the horse was 0 for 12 on the on the turf lifetime. I know he was getting raised up. He had some good races at turf way. I just like, I really like the way that he ran in his last two races, even though his form was clouded up. And the one thing I will say last before we take a look at the chart is that looking at his career line, that day on Sunday, that race was the, the, the race that he ran in. It was the... Uh, his odds were the longest odds he had ever been in his life. And he happened to go wire to wire and, and win. And now this horse was, you know, this horse was a Keeneland on the grass. This horse is, I mean, you know, like I said, the horse is, horse is bred very nicely and just hasn't yep. been able to win on the turf. But I thought he got a perfect ride. And like I said, I, I think he got really brave down the lane, which I thought he got brave in the last couple of races uh, before and just wasn't able to uh, to finish. But he kept trying. And that's what sold me was the video that he kept trying. He didn't get discouraged when horses went by him. And I thought if he can get to the front and with the rain we had the night before at uh, Hawthorne, I thought maybe some kickback, maybe it could discourage some horses in behind because I felt he would get the lead. I didn't think the four would get the lead. Everybody seemed to think the four would get the lead. I did not. And uh, we got lucky and uh, we were able to get home and maybe won the one shot and, uh, and win the tournament.
Well, how, Jim, how much do you think, or Eddie, how much do you think that the moisture in the turf helped you? Ed, was were you playing Jim, dinosaurs you're, you're before the, you're, or you're after the, the rain? Veteran, Jim. Yeah. I mean, I'm the one who walked the turf. I'm the one who says if you're on or off the turf. So I, I I've walked probably 500 miles on this turf course. So I. I knew how it was going to play. I knew it was actually going to be a front turf. And we saw it in the Hawthorne Derby two races prior when Act of Fool took them the whole way around on the front end. So that kind of led to it. You looked at this race, and like Eddie said, the Catalano horse was a stone closer. This horse was going to come from last. The way I handicapped the race, I thought the same way as Eddie. I was only thinking that it was going to be one of those where it was possibly family tradition. The one horse who was going to get out there, and that horse got bottled up from the inside immediately, and that horse's race was over. And then all of a sudden you're seeing, okay, like Eddie said, this is a kitten's joy horse that's, that's bred by Ken and Sarah Ramsey who's going out there in 24 and change, 48 and change, and a good, a pretty good allowance race. Of course they're going to get brave, and, and Olaf rode the horse perfectly well, and, and the course played the right way, and Eddie handicapped it the right way, and it worked out perfectly in the end. Yeah, and I think, too, Jim and Howard, is that, you know, like when I looked at the race, and like I said, like that's, I mean, I handicapped, and I think we all handicapped, obviously a lot of different ways but for me i looked at the race just on paper in a daily racing form and i went well i didn't think that i i didn't like four horses right off the bat and i looked at the catalana horse and the first thing that came into my mind again this is just a thought process is if this horse was doing well he would have probably stayed in kentucky yep. and run at ellis in no disrespect to coming to hawthorne but you know what i mean like it just the pots are way bigger at, at ellis yep. and i just that was just part of, of the thought process. Now, look, I said, look, if this horse runs, he could probably win by about five or six. So that played into it. So that's why I wanted to use Catalano underneath, like second or third at best. And I thought the horse to beat was, was Block's horse. So, that, you know, that part of it, of, of, the, of the video, and then looking at the paper, and then just having the thought on how the race is going to play out. And that's, like I said earlier, that's why we love this game so much is when you you, you you put the puzzle together before it's actually run and it happens that way you sit there and go wow like you know this is this is why you you keep coming back whether you're old for 15 like i've been on plenty of, of plenty of uh, stretches or you happen to get lucky one day and you, and you pop three of uh, eight races in a contest and uh, you end up winning uh, this is probably an unfair question but being a former professional hockey player you've had a ton of unbelievable highlights i mean is this like a hat trick? Is this like winning a, a conference finals? I mean, how do how do you mm -hmm. compare what what happened in that moment there on Saturday you to know, your professional hockey career yeah. or you coaching as well? It's, obviously, it's, you know what? It's not it's not unfair at all, Howard. And I think it's actually a, a really uh, uh, a really intelligent question. So thank you for that. Um, I, I think the only thing individually, because hockey is the ultimate team game. Um, is believe it or not, I had two six point games in my NHL career, which six point games really don't happen very often. Uh, I think there's been, I think there's been like high 70s or low 80s of players that have ever scored six points in a game. And uh, in Wayne Gretzky, uh, I think did it 39 times. So let's take Gretz, let's take Gretz out of it, right? Which is, it is mind boggling, but it's amazing. I think it's just one of those feelings, right? Where you just, at the most crucial point and the most crucial time, you're able to step up and, and, uh, and do the job. And then just, like I said, there's some nights where you just feel unbelievable or days you feel unbelievable and you go over and that's in the hockey ring too. 
but when it does come together on the rink or pucks and ponies, as we like to say, uh, there's, uh, there's really no better feeling. So I, I would individually, Howard, I would, it, it compares to, uh, you know, having one of those uh, six point games that I was lucky enough to have in my 16 year league, uh, 16 year career in the NHL. Jim, I'll let you, if you have a final question for Eddie, Jim, uh, you can ask it and then I'm going to ask, add one more question and then we'll, we'll let you guys go for the, for the evening here. No, Jim, no. Any... I mean, the, the, my, my main thing is, my, my, my main thing is just to thank you more than anything. Eddie's always been a supporter of racing and he's been a supporter of racing, not only nationally, but here in Illinois for years and years and years, and especially here at Hawthorne. So it's awesome when you can see somebody who is a local who has been supportive and that have that success and it's the time and effort and the work that you put in and that. So it was very cool to see. And uh, I'll tell you one, one little expletive isn't going to be a big deal because everybody <laughs> loved the outcome in the end. It was pretty well, awesome. I will, somebody, I, well, thank you, Jeremy. You know how I feel about you and your family and everybody, you know, at, at Hawthorne, it's always great to see Tim and his family and John and Rhonda and Steven and, and Dakota and just everybody, all everybody behind the scenes. It's, it's always great to come back home because that's, this is what this is. And, for all those years, the relationship with the Blackhawks, all those years I was there and all the different things that we did with, uh, you know, pucks and ponies and hockey and horse racing with Blackhawks and Hawthorne or something I'm very proud of and will be, uh, you know, will be forever. And, and I just think it's uh, it, it's all about, uh, you know, um, opportunity and it's all about, you know, taking advantage of, uh, you know, relationships and, and trying to, uh, you know, trying to build up the the sport and the game and uh you know you got to be there when things are good and you got to be there when things aren't so good and and uh, just very proud of that and the relationship that uh, that i always have and, and all will continue to have with everybody at Austin. well it's great to see a hometown guy win eddie and i just want to say publicly i've seen eddie several times over the last he was on the show uh jim in the first first like maybe 30 or 40 episodes of the show and i've seen eddie periodically at big events through nbc with matt bernier and whatever always been a gentleman Really nice guy, so I'm very happy for you, Ed. I know you've won other tournaments as well, but this one had to be special. Last question uh, I got to ask you. We're all Chicago guys here. Big NHL draft last night. Connor Bedard, yeah. Jim Miller, looks like could be anything. I know we don't want to put too much pressure on this kid. He's about to turn 18 years old, Eddie, but uh, the Blackhawks might have something special with their first-round uh, pick this year. Yeah, I mean, look, at uh, he, he seems to be uh, on the verge of uh, really turning, uh, you know, this franchise back to where we saw it for, for many, many years. And it's been very fortunate to have world-class players come through here. And, you know, look, at he's just 17. He's going to be 18 soon. Uh, you know, he seems to have the, the goods both on and off the ice. And I think what you've seen happen is that, it's important to get some veteran guys around him and guys that have been around the block to be able to teach him on the ice and off the ice as well. And uh, I hope the kid knocks it out of the park. The Blackhawks deserve it. The Blackhawks fans deserve it. And for Connor Bedard, just go out there and play your game. You know, don't don't worry about anything else. The pressure is what it is. Um, but uh, you got to uh, they got to insulate him with some uh, some good veteran guys. And I think we can see some of the moves that Kyle Davidson has made. It looks like that is happening. And one last thing I will finish up with saying is that. When I did drop that F bomb there, the the F and A right, that is probably the most popular phrase when uh, you get into a uh, a hockey celebration scrum. If you ever read anybody's lips when they turn in a the corner, there, if you can just read their lips. So I think I fell into the mode there, Jim and Howard, that uh, it was one of those where maybe I put the puck in the back of the net a couple of times and. Uh, 
it just happened to come out over the air. So I know I'm sure my late mother probably isn't overly thrilled with her eldest, but uh, mom, uh, another minus on uh, on, uh, on your oldest son. That's right. Jim, if I hit a big pick five this weekend, I think I know what I'm going to say right out of my mouth. Jim Miller, Eddie Ochak, we really appreciate it. Congratulations. And I will see you at the NHC in March, buddy. I'm coming after you. Look out. We're going to have a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Have a great night. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're back here live on the HHH Racing Podcast. That was Eddie Olchek and Jim Miller. What an incredible story as Eddie hits an 81-to-1 shot in the last leg of the Hawthorne Invite Tournament this past Sunday. Really appreciate all the uh, comments in the live chat as that video was going on. Really appreciate everyone watching the show tonight. Big show. Uh, we had huge viewership. And I just want to wish everyone huge success this weekend at the multiple tracks that we covered here this week on the HH Racing Podcast, but tonight, especially at Alice Park. For my co-host, Pete Visco, Paul Halloran, and for Jim Miller and Eddie Olchek, this has been your host, Howard Kravitz, episode 272 of the HHH Racing Podcast. Crush those bets at Ellis Park Saturday for Stephen Foster Day. Take care, everyone. Have a great night. Bye-bye.